Aloha. I'm Lonnie and I'm Hattie. I've been wanting to say that in front of everybody and get it right. <clears throat> I was thinking that, first of all, I want to thank the uh, committee for asking me to do this. Um, and also, I want to give all due to the God of my understanding for giving me the opportunity to be here and uh, just have the opportunity for another day for me. You know. But I was thinking, and all kinds of stuff been going through my head. Um, my home group is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Saturday night. Only hands are cured. And we get about 150, 200, 250 people every Saturday night from 7 to 8.30. 90% of them are brand new. Less than a year. A lot of them come from facilities. They're just here for a Saturday night out and to socialize. And what I think about is how when I first got into this program and how I first started going to meetings and I thought about where I was at. What they do is they keep it real for me. I got clean 1983, January 11th. And through the grace of God, I've been clean ever since. And I say that because it needs to be said. You know, there's people that's been around and there's people before me that's been in this program that's taught me. And what I learned was from them. That's the title. Apprentice. One, two, and three. Those steps, those three steps are probably the most crucial steps we'll take before we start to do our self-development. Before we do our transformation. See, because when I came into this program, my spirit was damaged. Make no way about it. I didn't understand honesty. I didn't understand open-mindedness. I didn't, I didn't understand willing. What I knew is that through degradation and being beat down for a number of years, I knew I needed something different. I was tired. I didn't have any kind of understanding of powerlessness because I was so caught up in the compulsion and obsession she used, that's what I did. It was overwhelming for me for years. And I know that's your story too. Day in and day out, that's what I did. So when it comes to powerlessness, I was powerless over my addiction and didn't even know it. For years, I did what it told me to do. You know, to a point where I got to the point where when it comes to powerlessness, I used to like feed on that. I used to think how great it was. To die in that. How that that was my um, destiny. And I used to think because I made a phone call and called my XPO and said, look, I don't want to go back to jail, and I need some help. And he referred me to a, a, a person that evaluated me. And I'm sitting there looking at her, and she's looking at me, and she says, you're loaded right now. I said, yes, I am. I can't stop. And I didn't know it said that in the basic text at that point. But that stuff was coming out through me, and it wasn't me. It was the God of my understanding that put me there. 
See, the miracle happened to, for me. They say, don't give up five minutes before the miracle. The miracle happened for me, January 11th, 1983. Because as of that date, the God of my understanding, and I didn't know it then, but I know it now. Through working this program and working the spiritual principles, God said, look, you had enough. And we're going to make you ready and teachable, and you're going to change your life. And that's what he did. He put me in a position and put me around people that loved me back to life. You know, I came in here and I forgot I had my sunglasses on. I very seldom wear them. Because when I first came into the fellowship, I used to wear sunglasses all the time. Because I didn't want people to see what I was seeing. And when people would say things that I didn't agree with, which was quite frequently, I would take my sunglasses and look, go like this and say, whoa, that's a shame. That person was really bad. And I thought about that, and I thought about how dead I was inside and how I really didn't know how to love. And see, I couldn't even say that for years. I went to a meeting every day for about four or five years, every day, every day. My, my days was, was uh, geared around going to a meeting. I didn't have a job that I couldn't go to a meeting. That was my priority, was a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And I remember going to those meetings, and I remember sitting there so filled up with nothing and so empty that all I could do was just listen and hear what people had to say, and hopefully somebody would say something that would make me feel better. But what happened was that I would hear it. I would hear something I needed to hear at every meeting. And still to this day when I go to meetings, I listen. I pay attention because I hear things I need to hear. And I believe that it's true what they say. For whatever reason, I believe some of the stuff in this. When I had my first sponsor, my first sponsor told me, look, get a basic text and read steps one, two, and three. So that's all I want you to do. He said, I want you to go to a meeting every day. He said, I want you to call me. He said, I want you to pray in the morning and hit your knees and give and ask for help for that day to make it through a day clean. And at night, hit your knees and give thanks. I want you to read this basic text every day. And I want you to help out another recovering addict every day. And those are things that I believe that if we do that, especially when you're new, those things on a, on a daily basis, you, you won't have time to get in your own way that much. And you'll be able to make it through with that. Because that's the trick. For whatever reason, I've been blessed with the day clean. And they've been able to go back to back. And as a process, I've been able to do some things. You know, who would have thought a guy like me would be standing here talking to you guys, and in three years, I can retire? That's unheard of. I never even would imagine. And would retire with a plan. You know, not just something off the top, just a, a, a plan where I can make some healthy choices. You know, but when I look at 
step one, and I look at the powerlessness of it, and I think about how addiction, the things that it made me do, or the things that I did, so that I could get off that day. No one with the healthy spirit can do those type of things in the rest. And, and, and that's what happened. For years and years, I never rested. You know. And when I came into this program, I was able to do that. I was able to take some time, relax, not make no major life-changing decisions. You know, when I first came around, we worked, we worked a step of a year. You didn't do a four step until you did three years, four years. You know, that's just how it was. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be that way, but that's how it was for me. That's what I needed to do. I needed to thoroughly understand my powerlessness and, and thoroughly understand what it meant to surrender to what I was hearing in this program. Because I could not stop. I tried to stop over and over again. And I think about that in step two. I think about how the insanity was that I would do the same thing for years. I would tell myself that this is it. This is the last one. I'm not doing this shit no more. I would pray to God that if you get me past this one, I won't do the next one. And as soon as that one was gone, even before I was thinking about how I was going to do the next one, you know, that's in the grip and being controlled by your addiction. I had no power. None. So for me to say I was powerless over my addiction and my life become unmanageable was actually a blessing. Because when I believed that, there was some relief in that. It made me feel like that I was okay, that I really wasn't this person that was just crooked and would never be straightened up. You know? And so those little things started to change for me. You know, I started to believe what people were saying. I would go to meetings for the first year and every day, and I'd be at a meeting, and I would share maybe two or three times a week. But this is what I did. I would wait till about five minutes before the meeting was over, and I'd be the last person to share. And I would shoot down everything everybody said. I didn't even believe it. What I was saying, I didn't believe. But I couldn't tell you that. I couldn't say, look, guys. I couldn't submit to the humility and become humble enough to say, you know what, you're right. And I'm wrong. But I knew in my heart and in my soul that I was wrong. And then I would leave and I'd expect people to say, don't you come back here no more. And they would say, just keep coming back. You know, it would get better. I would look for arguments and disagreements, and they wouldn't give it to me. They said, I'm not arguing with that fool. And I do the same thing today. I'll hear people say stuff at meetings, and I'll say, hmm. You know, I remember when I first came in with trying to do this parallel thing and trying to surrender, I didn't get it either. I'm not going to go up there and chastise that person because they don't understand right now. What they understand is that they're tired of using 
tired of the way they're living, and they want another way of life. And if they keep coming to these meetings, they'll get it. I believe that. I believe if we keep coming and working thoroughly, those principles and these spirits and principles in this program. And it tells us that in our nation. It tells us that those, and it says something about where those that fully or totally commit to this program seldom fail. Well, that was good for me. Because guess what? I was a failure in everything I did, in all walks of life. Everything I did failed. And to have a possibility where success outweighed failure was a plus for me. It was a blessing to hear. You know, but when I think about that first step, and I think about the powerlessness, and I think about trying to be honest, and trying to submit, and trying to surrender, and trying to be open and willing to hear what was happening in this program, it took a while for me to hear it. I still had reservations at that point. And we used to tell each other, you know, those reservations are going to get you loaded. You've got to get rid of them. And we would challenge each other all the time, my peer group. And we'd ask each other, have you practiced your principles of powerlessness and surrender today? And some days I didn't want to hear it. And other days I'd say, yeah, I'm doing the best I can do. And that's what we do. We don't use and we do the best we can do until we can get it. Because I believe we do get it. I've seen miraculous changes. I've seen it happen. I know it's happened to me. I am not. I am far from the same person that came in Narcotics Anonymous. I know that about me now. It took a while to see it. It took a while for me to understand it. And it took a while for me to feel it. But you know what I can do? I can think about the gratitude of this program, and I can think of gratitude of steps one, two, and three. And you know what I can do? I can tear up because that's how grateful I am for a day clean. You know, I can sit down and talk to somebody about my life, and it's only you guys that understand. I've worked with a bunch of people and always have been there for the last 17 years that aren't in recovery. And I think about that experience, and I think about how I'll think about powerlessness and stuff like that and surrender to this program on a daily basis. And I think about how they taught me also that I need to practice these principles in all my affairs because what was happening was I was doing insane things with these people mentally. And that's our second step. I was thinking that I could say some stuff and do some stuff that I shouldn't be doing. And they didn't understand. I'd be sitting around with them at work and I'd say something. They'd look at me like, did he just say that? What is he talking about? You know, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I think we need to get out there in life and it tells us that. And sooner we do, the better off we are. But I didn't understand that when I left a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and especially very early in, in recovery, that I was still an addict outside the meeting. I was still an addict at work. I was still an addict when I traveled for work. And I needed to do some things about that. Let me talk a little bit about the insanity for me of making the same mistakes. You know, I asked to be restored to sanity. And you've got to ask. You really do. <laughs> you really should. So, when I, when I used to say my prayers, after a while, I'd put different things into them. And I'd say, look, I want to stop 
thinking these things and these thoughts that I have. I want to stop going in, and I was never this type of person, but I want to stop going into the bank and thinking about taking some money. When I cash my check, why can't I have more of that? You know, I never did that kind of stuff. But the insanity was, for me, I want more and more and more now, now, now. I need it. You know, I was trying to think about why people would leave, like, I was having such a difficult time developing personal relationships with folks. Well, that's because when I was around people, they would feel bad from stuff that I would say. And I did that for years and years in this program. I was so messed up in myself and felt so bad about myself that I'd want to give something to you so you couldn't feel good. That's insanity. And thinking that you was going to do something different the next time. I learned how to do that through humility and understanding. You guys brought me that. He said, he'll be okay. As long as he keeps coming, he'll be okay. I need to say this too. I worked in patient treatment. I had a year clean. Now, I'm telling you this because my heart was in the right place. In fact, I thought I was helping people. And I was real curious every year we have a graduation or we have a completion celebration. And every client would come up and say, you, I hated you. And I say, oh, well, I guess that's my role. I just wear the black hat in the treatment facility. Well, guess what? It wasn't. It was just who I was. I didn't know no different. And then later they would tell me, you know what, what you told me was okay. And I'd say, well, you know, it really wasn't. And I need to apologize. And I've made some amends in that area. And I think about that, and I think about that's the insanity that goes on in my life when I think I can do things and expect different results. You know, it's just like trying to stop. I used to think I could stop, and all I needed to do was I could have a beer, and as soon as I had one, I was stopping. And I did that over and over again. And that's the same thing that happens with my behavior. The same principles. So I need to work those spiritual principles in my life. The best gift for me that this program has given me is the God of my understanding. And we should talk about this a lot. Because now what happened is I'm progressing along. I'm starting to understand things about powerlessness, surrender, being open and honest. I'm starting to understand some things that I'm doing wrong all the time. And I'm not acting on that kind of stuff. And now, I'm starting to believe that, yeah, just maybe I am not, and I, I need some help. Because when I was using, <laughs> it's so silly stuff when I look at it, and I think about it, that it's real. I used to tell people my name was Omar. And so they started calling me Omar God. <laughs> Well, I like that shit. I said, this feels pretty good. Well, I brought that stuff into the program. 
I thought I was in control of my life and everything that was going on. So once I started to understand that I needed to turn my will and my life over to care of God, I thought about that. And I turned my will over. And I go to a meeting when I didn't want to. And I call somebody when I didn't want to. And I pick somebody up and take them to a meeting when I didn't want to. I get involved in service and open up the meeting and chair a meeting when I didn't want to. What I didn't understand was that part about life, my will and my life. Because, see, at that point, I'm still having a separate life. I have an N.A. life where I go to meetings and I work all these principles and I do what I need to do. I go to work. By this time, I'm not working in treatment program anymore. I'm working in the real world. <laughs> it's not that the treatment program is not the real world. But I'm working in the real world. And uh, I'm not taking no principles in that life. It's not throughout my entire life. And I say that because that's what I do. And guess where that came back to? That goes back to the first step, and it goes back to those reservations that I'm holding on to about how maybe at some point you can try this again. Well, God seemed fit that that didn't happen for me, and he, took, and he brought me through. But he brought me through by you guys being in opportune places and opportune times and sending me opportune messages when I needed to hear them. When I went home to... Uh, and, 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 and I need to say this, I had a, a blessing with, uh, I was able to stay clean about eight or nine years, and uh, my mother was able to see me like that. And uh, when I went home for a funeral, my brother came up and asked me, and said, I'm really glad you're staying clean, um, and you're doing what you need to do. He said, but you know what? I got this here. See, my brothers were addicts too, and they would get you high. And I learned very, very early that the most dangerous thing for me was that. So when I went home to visit my mother, I took another recovering addict with me for support. I knew what meeting I was going to go to afterwards because I knew I was going to feel bad and I had emotional stuff happening with me. Because at this point, I hadn't worked before step yet. I ain't thought about that. That's not where I was at. But I had all that guilt, emotional stuff, and all those negative kind of things happening within me. And sooner or later, it had to be in that process and it had to be taken care of. But back to uh, turning my will and my life over to character, I was understanding. <clears throat> It tells us also that, see, what's going to happen in this apprentice in those first three steps is that we're going to be able, for me, I was able to set a foundation that allowed me to do some other work and some other step work that really benefited me. That's all I'm saying. The more thorough I do those three, the better my fourth step will come out. It just sounds so simple. But for addicts like us, we don't get it. We like the pain. You know, we say things that mean like, well, as soon as he gets enough pain, he'll do what he needs to do. Well, I thought about that. And I said, yeah, but suppose 
before he gets in the pain and don't nobody like maybe go say something to him and say, you know, we know you're feeling bad right now. Let, let's go hang out and drink some coffee or talk a little bit. They might go look for the cop man. You may be the person that God uses to take that person and give that person what they need. That's what we do. Through those three steps, one, two, and three. We help each other out. We learn off of each other. You know, I was thinking about this experience. I was thinking about being in Hawaii and how beautiful it is and how nice it is. And I was thinking, you know what, I think I'll go back to my home group Saturday. And in, and in, in, in the beginning when they say, are we having visitors? I think I'm going to stand up and say my name is Lonnie Amatic and I'm from Hawaii. <laughs> and I thought about that and I said, you know, that's the thing that those kind of things today I can think about and be okay. No, it's not true. And no, it's just fun. And I thought about that because when I came into this program for three years or so, I did not smile at a meeting. <laughs> and there's people here that know me like that. That's not happening anymore. You know, I have genuine, genuine uh, feelings that are good. You know, the blessing for me in this program of Narcotics Anonymous is a true working the principles and the spiritual principles in this program, and it tells us this, and I want you to hear it, is that I do not get obsessed and compulsion to use substances. I don't. Through my mother's death, I don't. Through getting ready to get fired at work, I don't. It don't come to me the first thing in my mind anymore. That's the blessing. It wasn't like that. Every corner was an obsession. You know, there was places I couldn't drive down because I knew I would feel a certain way. And I was afraid of that. I was afraid, you know, it's kind of weird because I use the same kind of principle in what I do in other areas of my life, not just drugs. And I was thinking about <clears throat> how my car used to always stop at Dunkin' Donuts. No, it would I could be driving down the street, and I would say, I'm not stopping at Dunkin' Donuts this morning. And if I do, I'm going to get coffee and I'm not going to buy no donuts. Well, as soon as I went in the door, I got coffee and got some donuts. And I thought about that, and I used to talk about that at meetings and stuff. Because that's a part of my life and a part area of my life that I was, like, not happy with. You know? That compulsion to do stuff that I know that affected me in a negative kind of way. That obsession to do stuff that I knew was bad for me. The outcome was always the same. And I thought about that. And it's those basic three steps. You know, we look at... When, when they told me what the... Um, topic of this meeting was the apprentice. I thought about it and I said, I watched a little bit of TV. And I thought about the apprentice. Well, you know, what I've seen on every valley based TV is that they would, what happened was you get fired. And I thought about that. And I said, in our college anonymous, you don't get fired. What you do is you go away if you choose to. But you don't. And that's what I love about this program. 
because nobody could do that for me. Nobody could find me. I came in the door a miserable person, a terrible individual, just like everybody else, feeling bad, and through building some relationships. And that's what my home group does for me. My home group allows me to build relationships, to say some things in that home group. It teaches me a lot of humility also. Because what those guys do in that home group and what those ladies do in that home group is because I've been around for a while, they defer to me a lot. They really do. And it's up to me to be humble enough to say, look, what would you do? What do you think we should do? We're not going to allow it to go, and we're going to get some input, and we're not going to go too far astray. But how can we keep an atmosphere of recovery in this meeting? That's our primary purpose. So that other people can get clean just like we did. You know, and I think about that. I think about the miracle of us having a day clean. And I think about the spiritual principles in this program in steps one, two, and three. And how we need to build that foundation. You know, because what happens is I'm in training. Those are the steps that set me up to make some real changes in my life. I have to be thoroughly honest with myself in those steps. The difference was that I didn't know how to do it. And you guys taught me to. After about four or five years, I was able to start to be able to be honest about who I was. Today, I pretty much like who I am. There's some areas I'd like to deal with. And that's going to happen. I know that. Because I still do this work. I live this program. And I believe that's what we do. And I believe we live that through each other. You know, I get people that do things in this program that I care about that I get filled up about. When they tell me their successes, I'm happy. I'm not jealous or angry. I feel good about it. I genuinely care what they do. So, what I want to do is I want to wind down and I want to say, uh, for the newcomer, you know, don't pick up a day at a time. Go to meetings. Get yourself a sponsor. The stuff we all heard. Stay away from people, places, and things. You know, and a day at a time, it'll clear up for you. It really will. The fog was so great. The fear was so overwhelming. And that's what it was. It was a fear of trying to live a life without any chemicals. I'm not afraid anymore. I never thought I'd say that. I've been saying that now. I'm not. I do different things, you know. That flight was eight hours over here from Chicago. We stopped in Chicago. It was brutal. I got off the plane. I said, you know what? You should have paid me to make that flight. And I thought about that later. I said, you know what? You need to be grateful you over here in the wild. <laughs> How quick I forget. And that's what I can do with myself. 
And that's why I need you guys around me to bounce that stuff off of, because that's what I'll do. I'll think I'm somebody I'm not. I was an actor, and I played a role. That's the only way I could survive. You couldn't do what we do and, and think about it. You can't. I don't believe that we do. If you are, then that's a whole nother. We need to get professional outside help. But I believe that. I know for me. You got some mess about Okay. I do want to say this, though. I need to say, because I know them guys is right there in my home group. Uh, and, uh, well, I'll tell you. The home group I have now, I've been in this home group for about four years. And, uh, I make coffee. And I clean the coffee pot up afterwards. And I've been doing that for four years. And I love doing that. I love doing that. That's what I do. I'm there, available for people at that meeting to talk to afterwards. Not during, but afterwards. That's what I do. You know, um, I sponsor guys. And, uh, I'm sponsoring a guy now that's been over a year now. He's just telling me, look, I got your first step. I'm going to have it for you soon. <laughs> okay. You'll get it to me when you're ready. Just, you know, don't use. There is no cutoff on this. You know, I want it to be from you. And then they'll tell me they're going to do it and say, I'll get the first step to you. Next month. And then I'll see him and say, oh, I said, look, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And it's not a big deal. It's really not. The deal is that we stay clean a day at a time, one day. One day. So that I can read the first step. So that I can talk about the insanity. So that I can find a God of my understanding. I, uh, need to say this too, for the last four or five years, I go to church every Sunday. That's only because that's the God of my understanding and where that God is at. And I wanted to understand who that God was. And that's how I did it. You know. And it's been a blessing for me. Because what I get from that is those spiritual principles that we use in our program. Faith. Just having enough faith in this program... That when people say, you know, I've been clean for 30 days, I've been clean for six months, I've been clean for a year. I haven't used in five years. I haven't used in 22 years. When people say that, I believe it. When I first came in the program, I didn't believe it. You know, we had... Thank God for the people that came before me. I need to say that. I still, uh, seeing my sponsor, my second sponsor I had for about 10, 15 years, and, uh, maybe not quite that long, he passed away about five or six years ago, and, uh, he saw me at a meeting one night, and he came up to me and he said, and at that point I had about maybe four or five years clean. And uh, his sponsor really wasn't using a sponsor. 
like I should or could. And uh, he came up to me and he said, are you sponsoring anybody? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, can you sponsor me? And he had like maybe five years more clean than I did. You know what I mean? I said, sure. <laughs> I can sponsor you. Well, what, what I found out was that he was my sponsor. I didn't have enough guts and didn't have it together enough to ask him to sponsor me. But that's what he knew about this program until he asked me to sponsor him. And guess what? He wound up being my sponsor. Now, that's how it works. That's how we get messages in this program that we don't know we get. Because for years I was running around and he was saying, that's my sponsor there. And I'd say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but guess what? He was my sponsor. And he was a good man. He died clean. But he taught me some things. He taught me some things about honesty and open-mindedness and willingness. He taught me some stuff about not making the same mistake over again. And he taught me some stuff about having a God of my understanding. You know what? I want to thank you guys for being here this morning. It's been a pleasure. And guess what? My name is Lonnie Nomadic, and I'm from Pennsylvania. So my name is Trentin and I'm an addict. So thank you very much, Lonnie. And uh, I must tell you that my home group is uh, Rayon de Soleil in Pontiac, in, uh, close to Montreal. And now I have the privilege to uh, introduce the second speaker. So um, this is Patty from uh, Vancouver, Canada. Good morning. My name is Patty. I'm an addict. Mm. I can't believe what it feels like to be up here. Uh, I'm so grateful and I'm so anxious. <laughs> you know, I have a, a debt of gratitude to Narcotics Anonymous. And any time I'm asked to do something, I say yes. Right? And um, when they asked me to speak here, at first I was just amazed. It's like, you know, they said, Are you reg you're registered for Hawaii? And I said, yeah. And they said, would you like to share? I said, of course. But, you know, what do you do? Just go through the registrations and pick names? And they said, no, we have our ways, right? And when they said about sharing on step one, two, and three, I thought, oh, I can so do that. That's my, um, I mean, I do that every day of my life. I do that in my work. I do that with my sponsees. You know, it's just, it's just a huge part of me, right? And then when they said it was at 9 o'clock in the morning, I was quite relieved, right? Because I thought, oh, good, everybody's still be sleeping, you know, nice little intimate thing. And he said, well, actually, you're going to be in a room that seats about 1,000 people. And I oh, no, you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> you know, I have, um, I have this horrible ego that just creates so much problems in my life. You know, it, it thinks all the time, think, 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 and it talks to me, and it never talks nice. You know, it's, it's always nasty stuff. It's always out to get me. And, um, you know, I have to all the time get myself grounded with my God so that I don't listen to that shit. You know, it's a, I'm sure you've heard it in your area, in my area, they talk about my head's got a contract out on my ass. You know, and it's, it's real true. Like, you guys that are laughing, you know, you've lived that, right? You've lived that. You know what I'm talking about. 
And so, you know, like usual, my head is awake this morning, basically before my body is, and it's already talking to me about what it's going to be like this morning. You know, jeez, not good. So I made my, uh, I brought my drugs with me across the border. I brought my chai mix, you know, so I made myself a little chai tea. Go sit out on the balcony this morning, 6.30 in the morning, and the sun's just starting to come out on the water, coming in behind that mountain there. And I was like, I'm in Hawaii. I'm, I'm a junkie from 12th and Clark in Vancouver, and I'm in Hawaii, right? Like, that's just so big. You know, I couldn't have, they told me uh, when I got here to dream big, right? And I couldn't have dreamed this big, you know, like, man, this is big. My world was so small, like really, really small, small, geographically small, spiritually, like just all crowded in and cramped and tight, right? Just tight. And... um is so wide open, right? Just like there are limitless possibilities in recovery. And it took me a long time to find that from my own personal experience, but I heard you guys talking about it. And I had this, uh, well, remember my home group calls it the gift of willingness, right? My willingness is directly proportional to the level of my pain, you know? And when I got here, I was done, just done. You know, uh, I picked up, alcohol at nine years old and I finally made detox at 31 and a half years old right so there wasn't much in there in all those years you know there wasn't anything different the day I got clean from the week before from the month before from the year before from the fucking decade before right it's always the same it's always about how do I get more you know that incessant grind where there's no room in my head for nothing but that Right? No peace, no joy, nothing except how do I get more? Right? And it's like this big, powerful bicep and fist thing that's all the time grinding like some kind of locomotive, right? Just always going, going, going. Right? And I didn't think there was any other way to be. There was nobody in my life that showed me any different than that, you know? There was. There was nothing. And there was, other than this sense of um, resignation, right? I'm living this way, and I'm going to die this way. There just really is nothing else. And um, a couple of things that happened in between 9 and 31 was uh, at uh, 18 years old, I found my drug of choice. And it fit me like a glove, you know. And it pushed me... um, across so many lines. You know, behind that drug, I started prostituting myself. You know, behind that drug, I started dealing. Behind that drug, uh, I learned powerlessness. You know, that was the thing where uh, I finally became physically wired. You know, if I didn't have the dope in me, I was physically sick. So the grind turned into like this screaming obsession, right? And I had, I ended up starting to think, well, maybe it could be a little bit different. I don't, I don't know where that idea came from because I didn't have anybody clean in my life, but this, this little thing started in me. And um, I believe today that that's about every meeting of Narcotics Anonymous when we come together and say the prayer, that it goes out and it starts whispering to somebody that's suffering. And it says, there's another way. Don't give up, right? Don't kill yourself. Don't give up. There's another way. There's another way. There's another way. There's another way. 
So that little whisper started competing with the screaming memes in my head, you know, and I started asking for help in my own special way, right? I went to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, I've got a thing for you, right? And that started to calm down the noise in my head. But what happened was this little voice in here started getting louder. Well, that's not quite it. Don't give up. There's not quite it. There's not quite it. There's not quite it. Right? And so then I got uh, the idea that somehow if I had some responsibility in my life, I'd have to, you know, be a better person or something, right? So my best thinking was that if I had a child, yeah, that's the ticket. If I have a baby, right, that would make my life complete. I'd have a purpose, a reason to be alive, you know. And I absolutely believed that. I thought that was the way out, you know. And even with fully believing that, I couldn't stop using it, you know. And I'm not a foolish woman. I know that when you're pregnant and you put dope in your body, it hurts your baby, right? But I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And, uh, and I was with my husband and both of our addictions was progressing and it was starting to get violent and nasty and I'm home with this little baby not knowing how to uh like I mean they don't come with any books <laughs> you know they're just there and the, whew, that was such a surprise you know like one moment I'm pushing out this life and the next moment I'm going oh shit <laughs> like there's three of us in the room now and I, I felt the crush, the weight of that responsibility, and I didn't know what to do, right? And um, I raced home out of the hospital and got more dope in me, right? That's the best I know how to do. And so as our addiction is progressing, we're looking at our lives and going, um, well, you know, maybe if um, we have a house, right? Instead of renting, we'll get a house, yeah. And we'll put it together so that it looks good. You know, so in our addiction, we go out shopping for a house, but not in the daylight, you know, like <laughs> at night when the traffic is a little calmer and, you know, it's like safe to go outside. And we ended up buying this house like this. I could never couldn't believe what it did because this house is on a major intersection in the city. Like 12th Avenue takes all the traffic out to the freeway. And Clark Drive becomes 9th Street, which is the main thoroughfare for all the trucks going to the States. So you can imagine the noise and the chaos in this place. But, you know, it was ours. And because uh, we had a house, we had room, so we had another baby. You know, like that's my best thinking. So got it all together on the outside. Got the husband, got the two kids, got the house. And it actually had a white ticket fence up front. You know, and we had the plastic and we had this and that, and it was going on, you know, except the grind. You know, every morning, waking up, oh, fuck, here we go again. Right? You know, like, I'd screwed myself because now I had these two babies to take care of. And um, I, couldn't, I couldn't check out. You know, I just couldn't bring myself to do that to them. I didn't have the ovaries to check out, you know. So, uh I'm living like that. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm living like that and going, I couldn't ignore anymore the fact that my addiction was having an impact on these babies. You know, never mind that I used right through my pregnancies and all of that, you know. So I thought, well, you know, if I went and got some parenting classes, they could teach me how to be a better mom and, you know, somehow that would make it okay. And what was good about that was for the first time I experienced a group of like-minded people moving towards the same solution, right? So in the comfortability of that, for the very first time in my life, I got just a tiny bit honest about what was going on in my life. And they said, well, Patty, 
you know, you're a dope fiend, and until you do something about your addiction, your life's not going to get any better. You know, uh, you just don't understand. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like truly offended, and it's so funny. I, mean, I was truly offended at the time. You know, you just don't get me. <laughs> so, you know, I uh, went off in a house, but I, you know, I remembered that I, that thing about identifying with people and being surrounded and feeling a part of something. You know. And um, the next group I went to was a postpartum support group. You know, with the second child, sometimes there comes along a thing for women. And, you know, on top of my addiction and how freaking depressing that was, you know, there's this hormonal thing. And so looking for help with that. And, again, they sent me off to this support group, right? And in that group they had, like we have, sponsors, they had mentors. You know, and so here's this woman that had been through what I was experiencing. And I was on the phone with her one day, and my daughter, Tara, who was three years old at the time, was taking care of herself as usual, you know. And um, I'm on the phone to this mentor woman, and I hear this glass break, right? My daughter had been in the bathroom getting herself a glass of water, and I threw the phone down and went running. And from where the kitchen is to the bathroom, it's a short hallway. And, you know, I go pounding down the hallway and wing the door open. And I want to stop changing my life because in my bathroom, it's a long, narrow room, right? So on this one side here is the bathtub, and straight ahead is the sink, and there's a little space in the toilet and the other wall, right? So as the door wings open and bangs against the wall, I look, and there's my little three-year-old girl squished down into that little space between the sink and the toilet, looking up at me with terror on her face. You know, and that was the thing that cut through all the crap and the bullshit. You know, the look on her face in that moment, that's, you know, like that's the moment of truth. And uh, I stopped screwing around at that point. I started seriously looking for some help. And uh, it took, from that point when she was three years old, until I found Narcotics Anonymous another two years, right? So for those two years... There was no, like, the dope didn't work anymore. There was just no, um, no relief, no peace, no nothing. And uh, uh, I hope to God I never have to live like that again. And I know with your help I never will, you know. <clears throat> so I was given the gift of willingness, you know, the pain of those last two years of using. That was it. And so when I finally found you, uh, I had no questions. <laughs> I had no fight. There was nothing, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever you say. I don't agree with your reading about alcohol as a drug. I think, you know, whatever I think about that. But I believe when you tell me that it's the first one, anything that's going to kick off my disease again, and I just do not want to go back there. So regardless of my thoughts around it, I'm just not going to pick up alcohol. I'm not going to do it, you know. And um, so that was about where my willingness ended. And then my ego took over, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah, I can go to meetings. I can show up. I can um, be like a parent and mimic the language of recovery. I can talk, 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 talk. I can do all that. You know, my life is then about being a chameleon. I can make myself fit into this place. You know, I can shine you on. I can give you whatever you want, right? And um, the first thing that came along, thing, pardon me, the first man that came along, <laughs> was my savior, right? I believed that he could keep me clean, you know? He was just coming back off a relapse, and he had 11 months clean, don't you know? And he could really talk. He could really, really talk, you know? And uh, 
my sense of self-worth was so low that um, I thought it was a miracle that he would even look my way. Now, this is a Neanderthal man. You know, this is a unibrow, knuckle-dragon guy, right? And I was blessed that he would even look my way. So, this was me, right? My first six months of recovery. Meet him, do him, move him in. Right? This is my modus operandi, eh? eh? You guys have lived like that, haven't you? So, here we are. The picture of recovery. (laughs) And I had this understanding of step one and a car. So we do step one and step 12. We go pick up people from the detox and take them to a meeting. And we're feeling good about ourselves, right? We're staying clean. We're helping other people. It's like, yeah, this is good stuff, right? This is the stuff. And uh, at about six months clean, a friend of mine from addiction, she was playing N.A. baseball, right? And uh, we played every Sunday. And um, she was pitching. And the ball came right back at her, and you could hear the crack across the whole field. You hit her on a collarbone, snap, right? And um, so she did what we do, go looking for relief. Went off to the drugstore, and in Canada, you can get A, C, and C over the counter, right? The first one, that's codeine, right? Codeine over the counter, no prescription, just, you know, so she's self-medicating. And, of course, that progresses in a heartbeat, you know. And she calls me on a Sunday, the day of my home group, says that. I got a couple waiting for you. Come on over. Now, I got Neanderthal man with me. What am I going to do about that? Right? So we get in the car, go off to my home group. And that is probably the only meeting in my life where I didn't hear a word. Right? I couldn't hear. I couldn't listen. And I was gripping my chair at the whole meeting, just hanging on, thinking, 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 instead of listening, thinking. (laughs) And, uh, so it's like, by the end of the meeting, I've decided, that's it, I'm gone, I'm done, you know, I'm just going. And driving home, it's like, I still have to ditch this guy, right? So I start picking a fight with him. And I have a really sharp tongue, you know, like it can wound. And uh, I start in on him, and it's ugly, it's just ugly, and I'm relentless, because I'm going, right? You know, there's nothing going to get in the way. And um, all of a sudden, he started crying. Now, this is, like I said, a caveman, a Neanderthal man, and he's crying, right? And it was the second moment in my life. That first moment, the look on my daughter's face, the second moment, Mr. Neanderthal crying, you know. And um, I know now that I came about a pubic hair from getting loaded, right? And that moment, that was the thing. That was the defining line, right? On this side, death and destruction. On this side, I don't know what. I honestly don't know what, but it's got to be better than that. So, um, you know, I didn't use that day. And that was my heart power at work, right? That was absolutely. And, um, <laughs> you know, I knew how to get into a relationship. I didn't know how to get out, right? I realized this guy can't keep me clean. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to actually have to surrender and do what you guys have been talking about all the way along. I'm going to have to work some steps here, right? You know, this is at six months. I don't know how I was able to stay clean for six months just running on, you know, meetings and ego, right? Like, I'm absolutely blessed to have survived that and not had to get loaded, right? So, um, bye bye to Neanderthal man. Hello to the women of Narcotics Anonymous, right? I got me a group of girls, and we got together and started my first step group. And um, at the time, 
the uh, approval version of it works how and why without. And that's what we used for our first step group. And we took that book and we, you know, underlined the sentences that worked for us and came up with some questions and did some writing on it. And I haven't had to look back since. And from that moment, I've made a commitment to myself and my recovery. And every single year of my recovery, I've done a written set of steps. And uh, September 10th, we start again on my 18th set of steps. Right? Because since, since that deciding moment, I haven't had to use, right? So I come to Narcotics Anonymous, and I stay clean right from the get-go. First of all, on that gift of willingness, you know, on the pain that just kept me here for that six months, and then on the steps of Narcotics Anonymous and the support of the men and women in this program. But most specifically, the women. You know, um, <laughs> they have a saying in our area, and I'm sure in yours too, that the men will pat your ass, but the women will save it, you know? And, and it's true for you men too, you know what? We use and abuse you. Right? So get with your own and get strong. <laughs> you know, don't let us hurt you anymore. Right? Don't let us hurt you anymore. There's um, so many things around my step one that are um, just like solid truth today. You know, in the beginning it was just, okay, I can't use dope anymore. Now it's about, uh, it's as much a part of me, it's as much a truth in my life as uh my middle name is Jean, the sun sets in the west, my eyes are blue. You know, it's just like that solid part of me. And it changes all the time because there's always something in me that wants to fight, right? You know, that thing that was so loud and grinding in that, it's not loud like that anymore. But it's still in there, you know? So I have to keep working at this program because that is where my misery is. You know, it's between my ears and it's talking at me all the time. And I've learned that addiction is a progressive disease. So I know that it's right here. It's right here beside me. And it's been progressing along the whole 17 years I've been clean. You know, so I think about the pain I was in for those last two years of using and multiply that by 17 years. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, no, not going there. Just not going there. Right? So I have a different kind of willingness today. Right? I have a huge desire to be more, right? I want to be more. I want to be more free. I want to be more serene. I want to be more grounded. I want to be more loving. You know, I just really want to be more loving. And that's a, that's a big challenge, you know, to open my heart, right? To be vulnerable, to uh, just live, you know, with all that that means. The uh, trick behind that, right, is my insanity. So it has, like, over the years, it has manifested in a number of different ways. <laughs> One of the ones that I did time and time and time again, expecting different results, was cut my own bangs. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, oh, it'll be okay. I can't see anymore. I have to do it. All the rationalizing and justifying that goes with my addiction, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it'll be okay this time. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be good. You know, I've done the same thing with relationships and recovery. You know, um, I have learned how to make friends with men in this program, right? But then the insanity creeps in. It's like, well, wouldn't it be better if we were, you know? And, yeah, man, I don't understand why that doesn't work. <laughs> I don't understand. So I tried it with one friend three different times. 
three different times over a period of about six years, you know, come together, really good friends, real tight, like-minded, doing service together, all this stuff, you know. It's a wonderful, wonderful friendship. And then throw sex in there. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, and so, and then the pain starts, you know, and then we stop hurting each other and say, yeah, sorry about that, and move along. And a couple years later, it's like, oh, but I've worked steps now. And, and it looks like he's changed. Like, now it could work. Yeah, now it could work. Three fucking times. <laughs> so, you know, this disease really hasn't gone anywhere for me. It just, you know, puts on these new faces, right? Another one for me was gambling. Now there's, oh man, some spiritual pain behind that one, right? There was no bottom, no financial bottom, no big crisis. You know what it was that finally got me to stop that? Was I was going into a casino on Broadway in our city, and that's the main bus route. And I was going up there one day, and all of a sudden the thought crossed my mind, and you guys must have been praying for me, because the thought came into my head, what if there's a becoming addict on that bus who sees me going in here? And the shame... The shame because I knew this is not recovery. You know, this is me looking outside myself for some kind of fix. And if somebody sees me, just, and I never went back. From that day, I stopped. I haven't gambled since, you know, and that's a great freedom. My head still talks to me, you know, 17, 19, <laughs> like a roulette table, man. <laughs> it's still in there, you know. It's not going anywhere. Just like the, the dope, you know, the glamorizing memories of the dope. But I have you guys. And I believe in you guys. And I believe in recovery. And I was taught right from the get-go that if I come in and tell the truth, not just honest, not just honest, because honest is, you know what, I'm obsessed and I'm compulsed and but it's all better now and thanks for letting me share. The truth is, you know what, I can't stop gambling. And I can't stand the way I feel about myself. And I really need you guys' help. Has anybody here got any experience behind this? Please help me. Now that truth Right? That's the truth of my step one. That's the truth that has always helped me get free from any area. Right? So I've had uh, the, you know, in, in, our, in our home group, we talked about us just sharing the exact nature of, right? Getting down to the, the truth of it, you know, the details, right? Instead of worrying about how I look to you guys, telling you how it really is, right? And you've never failed me, right? You've always given me a soft place to fall, you know? So the, uh, the thing that beyond that, like for my life and my recovery to get bigger, is then pursuing a relationship with a higher power. And I've had such an adventure behind the third step, right? It's always been about, again, more, <laughs> you know. So I can't have just one belief system. I want the very best of what you can give me and what you've got and what you experienced, right? I want to sit with you and I want you to tell me, how does it work for you? And then I take the little bits and pieces and put it all together in this melting pot. And I'll sit with that. And it works for me for a little while. And my faith has been like uh, exercising a muscle, you know, right? You pump your bicep and it gets strong. It gets big and strong and powerful, right? So the next challenge that comes along, I'm standing on the edge of the cliff. I'm going, oh, man, you know, like, God, I know you helped me get clean. I know you walked me through that divorce and I didn't have to use, you know. I know that when my baby was in the hospital and I was scared to death, you got me through that. Like, you know, there's a a gazillion things on the list of what my God helped me get through. And each time, you know, pump that muscle. And each time comes the doubt, right? Are you going to carry me through this one? Are we going to get through this one clean? 
you know. So I keep seeking, right? I am not yet done with my third step. I will continue for as long as I've got a heartbeat to keep talking to you guys and finding out what is it, what works. You know, in the beginning, my first sort of exploration around that was uh, the literature chair of our area. This great guy, he'd run around with all the literature for our area in the trunk of his car and run around to the meetings and just like dealing this stuff out, right? And I thought he so had it going on, so I talked to him. You know, I said, can you tell me about your food stuff? He says, well, I'm going grocery shopping. If you want to walk along with me while I get my groceries, I'll share all about it, right? So we're going through Safeway, and he's telling me about his third step, right? That was the start of my seeking, my spiritual quest, right? And I've got a little bit of probably every world religion and belief system in that melting pot. You know, the very best of what humanity has to offer is what I run on, you know? And there's new stuff all the time because we, right, humans are evolving. We're getting, man, we're going somewhere, okay? Human beings are finally starting to go somewhere. Never mind about all the stuff that you see going on in the world that's not right. Think about what is right. Think about what's good, right? Think about how we connect. Think about the miracles that happen in our rooms, right? Focus on that. That's what keeps me going, right? And so instead of the grind and the locomotive of addiction, now it's that seeking, right? And it almost feels the same. It's this push, you know, like I'm drawn, I'm pulled, and I'm all the time looking, right? And I think that's what it is about addiction is, you know, that that void, that spiritual void, you know? And so to be pulled now by uh, a desire for a better connection with my God as opposed to the push of addiction, you know? It's the same stuff. It's the same energy. It's the same passion. You know, it's the two sides of one coin, two sides of me, right? That addiction will always, always be in there. And, um, you know, life has gotten really, really big. And with that comes new challenges, you know, new uh, things to conquer. Just over a couple years ago, I decided I wasn't going to wait for some guy to pull up on a motorcycle and give me a ride. I'm going to ride, right? So at 46 years old, I go off to motorcycle school, right? You know? Because I want this. I have this desire. I've got this burn in me, you know? I'm getting drawn and pulled again, right? I'm off to explore some new adventure. So here I am in motorcycle school, and I, do, I ace the classroom stuff. I get the theory. It's all good, you know? Get on this motorcycle. <laughs> I, ran, I ran right into the wall. <laughs> I did. I left my mark. There's the rubber on the wall where it hit, right? And then comes the voice again. Who are you trying to kid? You're too old to learn new tricks. What is this all about? Come on now. Right? Trying to rob me. My addiction trying to rob me. So I went to this woman that I was in motorcycle school with, another recovering addict, and I told her my head thoughts. Right? I busted myself. She said, no, Patty, you can do this. Just get back on. Right? Get back on. And I got back on it. And I ride. Right? I, had, uh, I was going off to a, an N.A. ball tournament the long weekend, July 1st, and I'm heading over our mountain highway, the Coquihalla, and um, going up the first really big hill, and I feel this weird sensation. I'm like, what is that? And then I realized, oh, man, my rear tire is gone, right? And if you're a rider, you know this is a big deal, right? A lot of people don't survive this thing happening. And I always wondered what I'd be like in a, in a crisis situation, you know, would I have it? And... Um, it was amazing. The clarity of thought, it was crystal clear, it was sharp. It's like, okay, your rear tire's gone. 
you got about two hot seconds to make yourself safe, right? So I'm in the center lane of a three-lane highway, right? And it's like, I've got to go over, check my mirrors, put on my signal. I can't go right off the road because there's a bunch of loose gravel on a cliff going way down. Like, this is the mountains in British Columbia, right? And I knew, okay, you can't break because then you lose a little bit of control and stability that you have. You can't gear down because any little motion is going to take you out. And I'm riding it, and I know, okay, the only little bit of control that I have is in the speed that I have, but I'm going uphill, and I've got no back tire anymore, right? So there's going to come a moment where I have to let go, right? So it's my step three. Let go or be dragged. And, I mean, you don't want to be dragged at 100 kilometers an hour on a motorcycle. Like, there's just no, no. <laughs> so there came that moment where it's like, okay, that bike's going, really going, and it let go. And I flew through the air, face first, over the handlebars, and then I flipped and rolled, right? And when my body finally stopped moving, the first thing I did was look for the motorcycle. Like, is it coming? Is it about to land on top of me? Right? And I see it a few hundred yards back, and it's all broken. <laughs> and that's all I could do is think about my bike. It's all broken, right? And these people stop to help, and I'm so in shock, and I can't feel anything yet. And uh, they take off my boots and my gloves, and there's, like, no knuckles left on his hand. It's just a, man. But you know what? I didn't break anything. Not even a fingernail. And that's at 100 kilometers an hour. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I know about that? That's my God. And you know what else I know about that? About a week ago was uh, the third anniversary of my father's passing. And I know that his hands set me down. Right? I survived that, right? Let's talk about it. And uh, man, as soon as I can get that bike fixed, I'm riding again. I just get back on. Right? So third step is so about trust. It's like every cell in my body is going, you're going to fucking die. Right? And my heart, my, my gut's that place inside that just, it's that calm, quiet knowing I'm going to be okay. And I get that same feeling every time I'm in a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous, right? I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to be okay. And the best I can do with that is try and give it to somebody else, right? So um, I hope you've heard something that you can take away with you, and thank you for listening. So thank you, Patty, and I ask Angela to read We Do Recover. Angela. I'm Angela, and I'm an addict from Oakland, California. Uh, We do recover. When at the end of the road, we find that we can no longer function as a human being, either with or without drugs, we all face the same dilemma. What is there left to do? There seems to be this alternative. Either go on as best we can to the bitter ends, jails, institutions, or death, or find a new way to live. In years gone by, very few addicts ever had this last choice. Those who are addicted today are more fortunate. For the first time in man's entire history, a simple way has been proven, and has been proving itself in the lives of many addicts. It is available to us all. This is a simple, spiritual, not religious program known as Narcotics Anonymous. Please join me. Uh, to, we're going to make a circle to close that meeting. <laughs>